It is July 11, 2023, and this is the City of Iowa City work session. The first item on the agenda is the University of Iowa update on capital building plans. And um, are you just going to jump jump on up and come on up? I love it. <laughs> Welcome. Mayor Teague, how are you? Awesome and amazing. Council Good to members. see you. Jeff, is this thing fired up and ready to go? You're ready to go? Yeah, I'll bet it is. I don't see it. Oh, but. Uh, it's bottom left corner there. All right. And some of the council don't know who you are. So. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Good afternoon. Uh, Rod Leonards. I am senior vice president for finance and operations and university architect at the University of Iowa. I've been with the university for, uh, well, I'm in my 30th year and uh, was born and raised in Iowa City. Um, I have the pleasure of meeting with uh, Mayor Teague and Jeff on a regular uh, uh, occasion with our president and some of our um, senior staff as a chance to catch up and during that we thought it would be a nice idea to come here and present to you some of the projects uh, that are going on. Do you want me to go any further than that? Anything that's that you want good. to say before that's I great. jump in? Yes. Um, I see the G is missing in part of the logo so I'm going to hope that the graphics on this are the same as what I sent. If not, we'll, it looks like it's cutting off a little bit of the right side of the screen and I'll describe it regardless. But what I'm going to present to you is a summary of a unique 10-year master plan we were asked to provide for the Board of Regents uh, at the start of 2022. Um, typically, our projects are delivered on, on a project-by-project -project basis with the Board of Regents. In this case, what they wanted to do, because we have a lot going on, as you might be well aware, related to the hospital, they wanted us to contextualize that with the entire campus and give a, a picture of the master planning and the project planning we intend for the next 10 years. It's obviously at 10 years, it's not exactly as it will be delivered, but it's a good look at the highlights of the, the primary directions and priorities for the University of Iowa for the next 10, uh, 10 years. And as Iowa City hosts our campus, uh, we are, uh, there's a fuzzy edge all over the place with us and we interact. I will say just as one small piece of introduction, and we hear our president say it a lot, but I do as well in the circles that I travel in with respect to other universities, uh, administrative leaders, university architects or planners. Um, I am, we are not aware of any other university setting that has a better town-gown relationship than we have with our hosts in Iowa City, Coralville, University Heights. Uh, many universities are suing their cities and cities suing their universities because of inconveniences. And we know the challenges we can have, but the partnerships that we have forged, the ways we've worked together have benefited hopefully Iowa City, but certainly the University of Iowa. So we are always thinking in terms of our community as we develop the campus. And with that, I'll go ahead and start and see what it looks like on your screen as we go. Um, yeah, just a little bit cut off at, on the maybe the final 20% of these slides. This is not intended to be anything to take in other than uh, our campus map, which I use as a background for um, uh, for the presentation of these projects, and I will theme them as I go with the different uh, parts of our campus. Here you cut off a little bit more. Uh, you missed the Pentecrest, and that's what those lines are all headed toward. As we look at the themes of the different parts of our campus that represent the changes that are going to occur in the campus during the next 10 years, we certainly center on, as you can see in the inset photograph, um, our Pentecrest, which was the uh, really the origin of uh, the state of our city, of our community, and of our university. Um, the four buildings that surround the old capital, the old capital built in uh, 1842, those buildings surrounding it, uh, as a bit of a history lesson, I suppose, emulated or copied the Chicago World's Fair of 1893. 
um, and uh, over a 25-year period from 1898 to 1924, we created the four buildings that now represent the Pentecrest, the former state capitol grounds, and it is the academic heart of our campus, geographical heart of our campus, and symbolic heart of our campus. But the three buildings that I've circled, McLean Hall number one, Jessup number two, and McBride Hall, are all buildings at or over 100 years of age and have not been updated. Schaefer Hall, to the upper um, right in this photograph was updated, was uh, modernized in 1998, and those changes have actually stuck very well. The building is still very effective uh, as it was renovated, but the other three need help, and we're working with our state to enable those projects. All of the projects we have have ripple effects. Those buildings aren't empty and ready to be renovated, so we have to work through a series of projects that will enable that. A couple of them shown here on this image are Gilmore Hall, which is across the street from the Pentecrest. Uh, it was our um, 1910 built for our College of Law. And then the original 1936 art building, which has been mothballed now for more than 14 years, mm -hmm. now 15 years, uh, because of the flood in recovering that and protecting that with FEMA, it was always envisioned that it would be reprogrammed at some point. And we are in the programming process for that moving. We would eventually then move the Graduate College and a couple of other academic programs to the mm -hmm. to a renovated and modernized uh, original art building that will give us the room to make the renovations and modernizations to the Pentecrest and make it even more um, centered on academics and the student life on our campus. Uh, also on the east side, and a high priority for us is our Iowa Memorial Union, originally built in 1925. You may have seen we recently received approval by the Board of Regents to advance the modernization of the Iowa Memorial Union, and in partnership with our student body, the student body government, both graduate and undergraduate, agreed, like our Campus Recreation and Wellness Center, which was done in 2010, to help in the funding of that through a student fee, and that will allow us to uh, modernize that building, which was impacted by the flood, but was not updated at the time of the flood. FEMA did not, Iowa City suffered through some of this as well. They would recover as was, not as it should be or according to what we needed. So after the period of uh, audit from all of our flood recovery expired um, about a year and a half ago. We're free now to advance modernization and fixing of a lot of deferred maintenance needs in that building. It has a couple of other inset photos, again, relating to other projects that we would do. Um, you can see right next to the Iowa Memorial Union is the worst parking ramp in the world, the Iowa Memorial <laughs> Union parking ramp. Built in the early 1960s, the bad ones are always built really well, meaning it's not aging to a point where we have to take it down. But the way it was pinned into all too tight a site for a parking ramp, there's a circular spiral that goes up in today's, actually today's turning radius on a lot of the SUVs can't make that. So a lot of people are three point turning all the way up and then a bunch of little dead end parking places. And so the problem is you can't fix that without a larger footprint. And it so happens that as we're planning and we'll be advancing the IMU modernization project, the lowest photograph shows Halsey Hall, which was the women's gymnasium uh, it is no longer. We used to have a pool in it. We've covered that up. It's for the dance department. It was a building we actually closed down during COVID because it has such an antiquated circulation, air circulation system, that we didn't feel it was a safe place for us to have people there when we were worried about um, uh, health and well-being of folks during COVID. Um, as such, we began to look at options even after the flood as to how we could do better for our dance department. Return to the other side of the river, the top photograph is the 1969 original Museum of Art. And that building, because of um, large volumes, high ceilings, not many columns because there were galleries, fit the program by size and by space is almost ideally for the dance department. It would put the dance department back on the arts campus right next to theater, right next to Hancher and the other performing arts areas and would make good use of a building that was recovered by FEMA, uh, the Museum of Art. Um, that would then allow us to take this very 
operationally obsolete uh, building um, in the um, in Halsey Hall and remove it and allow for enough space for us to build a representative place for visitor parking. It is often the very first place that prospective students and their families visit our campus. That's their first stop and the experience in that ramp. And so connections, better pedestrian connections to the Iowa Memorial Union and to Cleary Walkway above it are objectives for that site when we move um, forward with this project. Next, our Tippy College of Business uh, 1996 building occupies most of the, of the block that it is on. We have grown by programs and students by almost two times since that building was built. We have faculty sharing offices, and it is the one of our 12 colleges that through our space management and planning efforts has a designated space problem with additional square footage needed. They're exploding programs like our Entrepreneurial Studies, which is a leading program in the country, drawing not just business students, but students from many of our colleges, uh, putting the pressure on the Tippy College of Business and the Papa John Business Building. So across the street in Jeff, and his team will certainly all know this, across the street, across Clinton Street to the east of this and straddling both sides of Market Street are two properties the university owns. Um, the one on the upper left is the Fred Riddle property. Uh, Fred Riddle has a, a, a dentistry program or pra practice and then apartments in the building as well. He has gifted that site to us. We'll be closing on that within the next year to two years. Uh, we work with him on that. And then the lower right hand is showing the other block. Uh, our intent is to grow the Tippy of Co Tippy College of Business directly across the street to the south of those two properties. And I'll talk in a bit about what we'll do on the Fred Riddle property in context with our housing and dining program. The next slide has two big buildings and buildings that are important uh, and certainly central to our student success. First, the main library is the largest building on the University of Iowa campus at about 550,000 square feet. It was built in 1951. Very antiquated systems, the largest deferred maintenance backlog on our entire campus. Um, and it is in dire need of updating. It's also in dire need of funding to update it, which is a great challenge for this project. It's more likely that we will have to do it in fits and starts and smaller pieces within the building to modernize it. We'll be exploring the viability of the building for the long term, but at this point, I was just meeting with our uh, librarian, John Colshaw, on ways to fundraise for the project and move that forward. Uh, the other is the University Capital Center. Um, the university currently owns 62% of the mall. The Hodge Group uh, owns the balance. We have a contract with the Hodge Group to be able to purchase the balance of the building in 24-25. We can negotiate that and work with the Hodge Group to adjust it. But with after the flood, it became very important place because the student union was closed. It actually became our student union for as many as five years. And since then, in our campus master planning, a triangle of buildings have become very important for our student success. The Iowa Memorial Union as the social gathering, club space, government space for, and health services space for our students. The library is our academic teaming, mentoring, coaching uh, programs, and the, and the um, UCC as a student services hub where we have relocated many of our student services to that building serving the students. It's been very popular to our students. It's obviously right across the street from the very core of the campus in the Pentecrest. We would intend to maintain the retail that is outboard because it's good for the community and certainly for the students, but to activate some of the spaces that are already being activated on behalf of student services um, and transactional spaces on behalf of students. You anticipate the inside of that building not being retail, but just the... Yeah. Uh, Mayor Teague, it hasn't been determined at this point. Some of the spaces on the interior are already being uh, changed to different spaces. I think the Hodge Group has found it easier to have the outboard areas as, as retail. We wouldn't necessarily be against retail on the interior. It's just whether or not the services for the students are balanced with what, and by the way, food is part of the service to students. Sure. They love food. Uh, and where we've been able to have the, the venues that we've had 
had, the students have enjoyed them, and I think the businesses have enjoyed having the students there. So nothing in particular with the planning of uh, that balance of the first floor, but we know there are more um, um, more student services uh, to be collected there. One of those that we're working on right now in a space that used to be but then became vacant on the inboard side um, is split in two, is where the Four Seasons um, uh, clothing store was, split in two, one for a disability services, for a student disability services department and office for the university serving our students with uh, um, various either mobility or, or other disabilities. And right next to that, uh, we're in construction right now on what will become a, a welcome sort of front-facing portion of our campus safety um, unit. You know, campus safety is in the building, but downstairs below what used to be J.C. Penney's, I think it used to be a hair salon, and now it's a bunker. And it works well when it needs to be a bunker, but it's not a very friendly face. Mm -hmm. And we have really been working hard on our relationship with the students, involving students. We have students involved with the campus safety department now, SHOUT and other programs. And it's been um, asked for, and um, actually campus safety wants to have a presence on the first floor as a place to stop in our community service and DEI functions will be in the building at that place and we look at it as sort of a friendly uh, go-between for the activities that can occur in the mall but also in the entire campus um, the, the text here is a little cut off in this slide but uh, what I want to point out is an important element of our campus success and drive is the right sizing of our campus. Over the last uh, five years, we've removed some of the most troubling, problematic, antiquated, operationally obsolete buildings on our campus. Uh, Seashore Hall was one of those, a wood frame structure built in 1899 as our first University of Iowa hospitals and clinics. And um, we moved the hospital in 1928, and it remained there, home to our largest College of Liberal Arts and Science program, psychology, for 70 years. Wood frame structure, we had floors that had been decommissioned because of uh, past decade termite challenges, and ultimately um, was a building that just didn't stand the test of time for us. And yet, it was a big deferred maintenance and energy waster and challenge for us. And so, as we look forward, those kinds of examples, they speak to our legislature who want to know how, if we're right-sized, are we doing the right thing with every state dollar? In this case, a couple of buildings that I'm showing here, West Lawn, which was the 1919 nurse's dormitory. It's not used for a dormitory. It's been used for a hodgepodge of things. It's right at the heart of our health sciences research campus, and we have virtually no space available in the health sciences for research, but needs on that front. Uh, it's a very low land use efficiency building and has leaked roofs and leaking windows and all kinds of problems. We've been slowly emptying that building for some time. I mentioned health. You can see in the sign, uh, student health and wellness will be part of that IMU modernization. So we will move. And at that point, the building will become mostly empty. And our long-term master plan has that site being used for modern research space for the health sciences. I do show the Jefferson Hotel, the Jefferson Building, uh, but Hotel 1912, one of the most opulent in the Midwest when it was built. The university operates all of those floors, but not very effectively. It's still got the structure and the functions, a functional layout of a hotel, but we put staff in, in the building, um, somewhat disconnected for the, with the main parts of the campus. We do not look to rid that building. It is a very, personally, very important building in Iowa City. It was our first skyscraper mm -hmm. and, um, and is an important building to Iowa City, but someone else can do better with it than we can. We would be very um, uh, directed in any kind of um, sale or giveaway on that front um, uh, to make sure that it is protected and that we work with the city to make sure that it's protected. But we are in the post-COVID next stage of work with a, some of the transactional functions going to uh, online remote hybrid situations. We are seeing enough of a change in the way work is done in the transactional part of the university that we believe a litmus test for right-sizing our campuses is that we won't need the Jefferson Building in the years to come and so it can go to a higher better use at, at some point in the future. No hard schedule on it but that would be uh, generally our, our objective. One thing you 
can't really see on this slide, but the bottom bullet is selling Mayflower. I know this has been in the news, the building built in 69 as an apartment, then sold to the university in 1980. Um, it is the least favorite of our residence halls for our freshmen. It is the last filled up, first transferred out. We have lower returning uh, uh, student statistics in that building. It's distance from the other student residence hall, the food service, classes um, have proven to be something that doesn't work well for first year students. And as we look forward, and I mentioned that one site north of the Tippy College of Business um, uh, expansion site, the Fred Riddle site. We are exploring on that Fred Riddle site the idea of building our first, many of our peers have them, we don't, but our first returning student residence hall, which would have more suite style uh, communities. And if we can build that, it's right near the food service at Burge Hall. Uh, it'd be an ideal location for returning students. We have fewer returning students, but mm -hmm. almost all the freshmen live on campus. And so uh, we know that we don't have to have the Mayflower to house all of the freshmen on our campus, but we would be short on what we would do for returning students, and that's why we're looking at that option. Currently, that building, uh, Mayflower, is out on the streets. It's being... Um, if you will, shopped or certainly uh, solicited um, by our real estate agent on that. It's been a lot of interest. It's just been listed, so we're we're allowing and, and real estate um, uh, uh, consultant is being is suggesting we wait a few weeks, see what comes in, and then assess at that point. No hard date on um, when it stops, and it's not binding. If we don't think it's good enough for the University of Iowa, we wouldn't sell it. Yes, please. Yeah, so just curious about. Um what kind of purposes people uh, that are interested in the property are are wanting to to pursue with it? If, yeah, it's, if a, you good, have any it's idea. a good question, yeah. Andrew. You know, um, we we haven't received or dug into many of the proposals to see that it's otherwise. Obviously, the building itself is designed for residents. Um, the way it was designed when it was built for apartments, it has a kitchen kitchenette and a bathroom that is surrounded by two separate units, or two, uh, actually four rooms, two on each side, uh, that would house two students on both sides. That's how the residence uh, system used it. It could be flexible, and that could all be one unit with a living area and, and um, bed area, and then the kitchen and bathroom in the middle. Um, it is The building was originally designed as two towers. We have worked to connect the two so that the elevators can be shared and so there's more of a community. But one could imagine you could treat it still as two different towers. It could be student housing and senior housing. It could be different types of housing in a different area. It could have been part of it is used for office space, but um, that's not, a, not much of a market need these days. Certain floors, we've already done some of this. The lower floors can be converted into more amenity space, which has become more popular and doesn't matter what age uh, group for housing. So there are some flexibilities there, but it's hard to say right now. That's some of what, what we've been thinking, I would assume, based on its proximity to the campus, that it serves, uh, probably serves a, a commercial niche for students. Um, if not others living and working on campus? It's a good question. There's always a slide related to athletics. Uh, and there's a reason athletics does. It's one of the auxiliaries of the University of Iowa and an active um, uh, part of our campus. Uh, one of the things to note, the projects enabled uh, uh, by athletics are enabled by their donor base. Um, the University of Iowa Athletic Department is fiscally independent of the university. I give one exception to that. By Iowa law, they and we are not allowed to um, borrow money or bond for anything other than capital dollars. So when COVID hit and they lost two football seasons, basketball seasons, and the others, the athletic department um, needed to and asked the university to give them a loan. They are paying that back with interest to the university. Um, 
and uh, that has allowed them to continue forward. But otherwise, and again, they'll pay that back with, uh, with interest. Otherwise, they stand on their own bottom, and um, that is still relatively unusual at a national level. We're helped by being in the Big Ten, obviously. Uh, so the projects that occur in the athletic department are driven by uh, donor dollars. You see half of a rendering. Actually, see the half of the rendering that doesn't show the building, but um, <laughs> the uh, newest and, and next project for them is that um, wrestling center, the Goshke Family Wrestling Center, which is well under construction. Projects going well, 100% uh, donor-funded project that will be complete in probably April this next year and uh, has a new connection to the floor with a new tunnel to the floor of Carver-Hawkeye Arena. Um, it will, in effect, be the final addition to Carver-Hawkeye Arena. There's more space on the site, so, uh, but an important project for that, for that program for which the University of Iowa is noted and will, in about a half hour after the schedule is released will sell out the entire season. It's sort of cultural. Um, we are doing other projects with athletics. They're going to look at the various modernizations to Carver-Hawkeye Arena. There's a field hockey project, a baseball project, a gymnastics project that they're working on again with donors and with revenues from the auxiliary that is the athletic department. Do have a bit of a catch-all when we're working with the Board of Regents, the other things that we're working on, some of those priorities, east and west campus research growth. We've seen a lot of growth in research on our campus and more diversification. We've typically been an NIH-rich campus, mostly medical, but thanks to uh, our space physics program in Van Allen Hall and our partnerships with NASA, our largest grant uh, of all time, $115 million, was awarded uh, by NASA to our space uh, physics uh, group and those diversifications protect the university in the future but they also reveal that we have um, some undernourished spaces for the high expectations of groups like NASA so we'll continue to look at both east and west side uh, research growth in in the decade to come campus parking uh, campus services are always a churn on our campus uh, especially in an urban setting and the things we work on. I mentioned housing, uh, care, and modernization. We continue to go through all of our residence halls. We're at a pinch right now because 300 beds in Hillcrest are out because we're modernizing a major portion of that building, which will be great for the students that get in there after it's modernized. Um, and then obviously TBD, new opportunities do arise and donor opportunities do arise on a regular basis. And the whole notion of a master plan is to make sure that we're ready for those and can uh, welcome them and make them work. Final slide I have is one that just highlights, as you can see, a one and a two and then an ABC. Um, these are some of the health care projects that are really driving a lot of the dust in our area. Uh, number one, where you see number one, this would be the um uh, this would be the Jacobson. Is, a, is driving the largest gift in the history of the University of Iowa, $70 million gift uh, for an inpatient and operatory care tower at, at location number one. It would be a north version of the Children's Hospital. Um, a project of that scale, not unlike the Children's Hospital, a project of that scale doesn't happen by just plopping it down on the ground. There are things around it that are impacted from utilities and roads, but more specifically, it lands on another very old parking ramp and one that is actually having conditional challenges, old hospital ramp one. So that ramp will be lost to this project, will be occupied by the footprint of the tower. Thus, the A you see on the map, north of Kinnick Stadium, is a project that is already under construction. Uh, that is a new 950 space parking on ramp that will serve both the um, uh, staff and faculty, doctors, nurses that, that work within the hospital, but also patients as we look at the network of ramps that we have that serve. It will, it will connect to the overhead walkway that you see that goes over um, uh, Hawkins Drive and directly into the hospital. Uh, B and C that you see on the map, um, B is also under construction as we speak. The site is enclosed. That was what we referred to as parking lot 14. Uh, east of the field house. Um, it is going to be a large health sciences academic building serving our speech and hearing program, which is either number one or number two in the nation, depending on the year. 
their old building built in the 60s is in the footprint of the future tower, so they need to move and modernize. They're glad to be a victim in this case. Um, and then also, two other rated programs are Physical therapy program in the Carver College of Medicine is the number two program in the country. And our health and human physiology program, the largest and the fastest growing program in our College of Liberal Arts and Sciences. It includes a really fast growing sports medicine program. will all be located in this new academic building. They all have functions and faculty that relate to each other but had been separate. This will only make those strong programs even stronger as we move forward. And then C will be at this stage because those programs welcome not just students, but also subjects, because a lot of them do um, research and work that serve the public, we have to have adjacent parking. Uh, we did a lot of study to find out if we could put parking underneath the building. Uh, we're saving millions and millions by using available space you see on C that will be developed as surface parking space that will serve um, visitors to the building and also visitors to the little building between the two, the, the, which is the um, Jardine Athletic Learning Center. It's a standalone facility for our 625 Mm -hmm. student athletes it's been in place since 2005 we need place for them to go in the evenings um, uh, for for the work that they do um, that takes us to almost the full word Iowa <laughs> and um, I'll be glad to answer any questions it does not address all of the projects over sure. a 10-year period it's a highlight reel of the things we're aiming at. it also looks like a lot of work it is a lot of work but it's also spaced out over 10 years. It actually does not show, apart from a hospital project to do, does not show an escalation in the amount of work on our campus. And as I pointed out on the main campus, it's actually a slowdown in taking care of what we have, as opposed to more and more new, with the exception of the, um, of the Tippy College of Business growth. Thank you so much. That's a lot of great information. I wonder if you couldn't just give us a little bit uh, of information about the North Liberty yeah, absolutely. Site. Yeah, sure. Uh, as, as if the hospital's not vibrant. So we've all heard um, the challenges related to University of Iowa hospitals and clinics, the, the only tertiary quaternary hospital in the state. We have a mission that we take everyone insured or not. These missions have driven us to a point of 100% uh, uh, occupancy uh, within the beds of our, uh, not only our hospital, but our emergency room. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's not sustainable, it's not efficient, it's not in the best interest of care. We have um, quite a few of our rooms are double beds with two patients in a room. That is not a standard that we or others aim for, but you can't do anything about it until you have capacity. And so the tower I mentioned, is, a, is an incredibly important part of that in the main campus. The North Liberty Project, which we refer to as a hospital as well, has about 40 beds. It's primarily a 24-hour surgery center. So the more ambulatory, in fact, we're relocating our uh, or locating our orthopedics clinics and staff and, and faculty at that location. It also has a fully functioning emergency room at that location. It can also be added on to over time. We have uh, acreage adjacent to it where over time we can add to it. But the project itself has been going wonderfully. In a time when, when construction um, staffing and available positions is a challenge for everyone, we've seen it in the escalated time and and uh, and costs that project is is currently under budget and under its expected time so we're we're thrilled with the partnership we have with the contractors working on it and uh, it has gone very well so far yeah it's really taking shape thanks well counselors any uh, I had a question about the status on Manville Heights. You know, there was the discussion of the practice field and mm -hmm, um, yeah, certainly. developing yeah. there. What what's happening? Yeah, thank you, John. Um, in in the theme of some of the areas, whether it be Mayflower or the athletic club site near Finkbine or the Park Road former band practice field. Um, we've been encouraged by the Board of Regents to right size to make sure that the assets we're paying for are paying dividends to our students and to our objectives. That's a site that um, since we moved the band practice to the Hawkeye campus uh, west of Finkbine, uh, we've done 
nothing, no programming on it except mow it and take care of snow and other things and spend about $45,000 a year to just care for it. Um, and uh, so in that spirit of looking at those assets, one of the things that we went and met, met with and visited with the neighbors on was a redevelopment plan, a, a development opportunity for a, a developer to come in. Again, one of the things we were very careful to do, because it's a wonderful neighborhood, we look to strengthen it, not, not, um, not harm it, is uh, we put three uh, representative neighbors on our planning team. We asked them to write the intro to the RFP process for us. We worked with the city. One of the concerns we heard was it's so close, it's really not a park, it's a flat plot of, of grass, but there is a park, your city park, right across the street. But quickly they said, it, but it's hard for our neighborhood to get to it. Uh, whether true or not, it's, it's viewed as a thoroughfare on Park Road and tough to, to kind of get through that to enjoy the park. We, we intend to work with the city to to improve the connection points to the city park through this project. And again, it would be non-binding. If we don't find a, um, a development that's fitting, we wouldn't take it. We have held on that project currently, primarily because of what we're seeing around us with um, uh, uh, high interest rates, high construction costs and long lead times, we've seen those challenges on some other sites like the Finkbine site where a developer was selected for that and in the end couldn't do the project. Mm -hmm. um, too costly, too many delays. And so we don't have a reason to hurry the process. We're gonna let the time uh, solve it, but we are um, ready to explore that option in what, the year to come. Any um significant outdoor developments in terms of you know the out the common spaces the you know the the spaces between the buildings shall we say on campus yeah yeah absolutely uh, one we are probably we're we're as proud or more proud of our landscaping now than we've ever been we've really worked to get a great team and they've worked hard over this last decade to really work on the spaces that connect the buildings um, we have a new infusion of pocket parks on our campus mm -hmm. even with some water features that ha that we've really received nice uh, and positive comments on we've got an entire site improvement plan that allows us to look for donors and others that celebrate gateways that look for other new ways to celebrate pockets of our um, of our landscape in working with Iowa City and working with Corville the whole river trail process we have and continue to aim at improving what we do on both sides of the river um, we we just advanced a project or Iowa City has with the idea of um, grant dollars that would make the connection from Dubuque Street down to the river at park uh, it, we're just as behind this as Iowa City would be again another one of those examples of partnerships that we have but in it in a fairly urban campus the green space is obviously very important I think one one great example is Gibson Square on Burlington Street it used to be just sort of an underutilized pass-through green space not that that was wrong uh, since we located the Stanley Museum of Art at the west end of that and made that park a sculpture park its traffic and uh, um, the compliments we get are, are far more than they've ever been. So I think it's not necessarily about finding more green space, but really taking advantage of the green space we have. When we do the Memorial Union Project, we're looking at um, modernizing and programming elements of Hubbard Park along with the perimeter of the IMU to bring in gardens and other ways for mental health and experiential spaces that are both inside and outside of the, of the Memorial Union. Mm -hmm. uh, we have a very active gardening student group that does work out on the Hawkeye campus. They'd like to be on the main campus and our notion is to incorporate that into the Iowa Memorial Union project so that the site itself starts to act as a garden for students, whether you're a gardener or not, to experience. Great. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of exciting things on the landscape front. We're very proud of it. Thanks for asking. Having spent 38 years of my life 
at University Hospital, working at University Hospital. As you can tell, from 1974 till 2012, I saw it grow immensely. Immensely. Uh, immensely. Like by about four million square feet. It, uh, you know, we used to joke that, oh, it's going to be over to Melrose at some point, and, and, and it is now currently. And of course, as it grew, uh, we also saw then units shuffled around and, and moved around and empty spaces used for offices, et cetera. Uh, very good, good planning on the most part for using that space that the units were moved from. So I just kind of wanted some clarification. I'm a little confused on this new North Tower thing. Then are are the in, all of the inpatient units then from the existing hospital going to be moving over to there, or, or how is that going to work? And then what would be done with that space? Yeah, Pauline, it's a it's a great question. The the major project of the tower will enable a whole series of projects within the main hospital, not only to modernize it but to reprogram it for highest use. We, um, to get to all single rooms, you have to have more beds just to spread out that way as opposed to just more beds. And there's a certificate of need program that limits the number of beds we're even licensed to have. We do have ability to grow that number within the hospital. Um, but the idea would be the tower would primarily be a patient bed tower with floors of operatory. So we will have operatory space within it. And then we will go and modernize the pavilions that have beds now, modernize those to decompress them to single rooms, and also modernize the way they work for nurses, for staff, for doctors, and for patients. Um, and, and using some of the best practice models we learned with the Children's Hospital, there are new and better ways, some of them call them Disney Disney-esque kind of on-stage and off-stage or backstage things you do so that the patients don't see all of the work that happens and it's good for, for them, it's good for us, they're not in our way. And um, so absolutely, the beds, won't, not all the beds will move there, we'll add beds there that okay. will allow us to decompress in the main hospital. Okay. Uh, but it's a, yeah, it's a great question and it is complex. It's a, an amazing sort of uh, spaghetti set of projects that happen, but it starts with a tower that enables it. Well, that's good to hear. Like I said, I still have this heartfelt connection to it. Absolutely. Well, thank you. So that's you. good to hear. It's thank growing you. and expanding and still a great place. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Sean. Um, so anyway, first of all, thank you for coming and for this presentation. Sure. I know that it's it's nice to hear, at least as one gauge of the success of such an important institution, all of these building projects, certainly an indicator of good health um, and lots of, of programs expanding. Great to hear. One question I do have, and maybe you, you kind of touched on this a little bit when you were talking about Mayflower, but maybe you could circle back to it, sure. is the stu undergraduate student housing component, which is something that definitely you talk about town and gown. That's definitely a shared sort of um, thing that we, you know, that we um, either provide or don't provide for our for our undergraduate students and we want to have good housing options could you speak a little bit more to what the universities like in the ten-year plan to increasing dormitory space uh, are there some plans if so what do those look like to sort of ease some of that pressure uh, sure uh, yeah so first of all unlike some of our peer institutions we don't require students to live on campus yet somewhere around 97% of the first year students that come to the University of Iowa do live in our residence hall system. Um, with Mayflower, we have a capacity within our current living situation, save Hillcrest's 300 beds, which has put a pinch on us. But as it's normally uh, arranged, we have enough for all of our all of our first year students and somewhere around 800 to 1,000 returning students. That has been right sized based on requests. Um, a reality in Iowa City, I don't know that it's it's necessarily the case in other university towns is that um, for many of the apartments, first-year students have to know who the roommates are and where they're going to live by no later than November, if not sometimes October. That's a tough challenge for a lot of students, especially in a COVID, post-COVID world where we have seen evidence that more people are introverted. It's harder to bring them out. We have more programs to bring students to, into smaller communities, to get them out of their rooms, to get to know people. 
And by October, you're supposed to know who it is that is a good influence, a good friend, and that they, you want to live with them for a full year in an apartment. It, it can be stressful for some students, ideal for others, but that's a good part of the reason why we still have that 800 to 1,000 students that want to choose to live still on campus, mm -hmm. even though our residence halls are designed prototypically for first-year students. Double-loaded corridors, rooms on each side of the corridor for two roommates and we see that many of the students prefer to either have a single room or have a community of roommates, that sort of thing. Um, we don't offer any of those at this point. Most of our peers do. The count of residence hall beds we have, if we got rid of Mayflower today, mm -hmm. we would have a capacity for all incoming students, freshmen, first-year students, and roughly 300 additional beds. And what that would mean is we would be able to offer less than might be the market to live on campus. Um, that's why we're looking at the Fred Riddle property for an opportunity to um, put in some unique dedicated to returning students. Some students will still pick to live in, say, Elizabeth Catlett Hall and others and pick their roommates for that. But some who want an apartment-esque setting will be able to here with a residence hall director, with, with RAs, with um, <coughs> teaching space, teaming space, social space that we have in our residence halls have that in that, in that setting. That, that site probably doesn't satisfy the number that we would need. Mm -hmm. We have looked at other sites uh, adjacent to North Hall and other places on our campus that might afford some future uh, options for more housing. But when it comes to the undergraduate population and the Iowa City apartment um, market, um, we do stay aware and work closely with Jeff and, and the team. Stay aware of where things are. Jeff is in, in the meantime meetings that you have, a, a chapter of the meetings we have with the president are some of the latest development opportunities or proposals or others. Some of them have already been recognized. There's been more collection of apartments right at the border of the campus. I think there, as I understand the city's objectives too, there are some positives to that and that the more residential areas can be free for more residential areas. But um, we're not looking at growing the population of the University of Iowa from a student perspective uh, very much. We, last year, we had the third largest class of incoming freshmen. We're at that this year. But our objective is not to, there's not a specific sweet spot, but not to really go more than, say, 32,000 students. And um, I think one of the secret sauces the University of Iowa has is its scale. Many of our peers are three times our size, and people don't know each other and get lost in that very urban scale environment. We're small enough to know each other and to feel comfortable, whether it's student to faculty or staff to staff on this campus, and we recognize that that's something that fits Iowa City well. So. Um, we don't have a big need to grow student population, or rather student housing on our campus, but step by step we'll be exploring what we can do for returning students. We do have some space on the west side of, of the river as well, where Quadrangle, the east portion of Quadrangle Residence Hall used to reside, where we can um, put another returning student residence hall there, kind of at that edge of the Quad Ravine. Uh, skunk Hollow for some of you who have been here too long. Um, so there, we, we have that in our master plan, but no, no big plans to grow beyond that description. Okay, thank you. Yep. Can you walk us through what the, the transition will be like for, you know, after the sale of Mayflower when it comes to, yeah. you know, where the students I are mean, going to go? Are they going to be there next year? You know, pardon my ignorance. Yeah, no, it's a good question. So part of what we have advertised is that the university will continue to use Mayflower this year this academic year and would plan to um, not be assigning beds for the following fall. That would be the base intent. We don't know what the proposals will be when they come back. It could be that somebody says, well, we can make a go of this, but we want to make sure we've got a little runway. If you could have students assigned to maybe one of the towers or both of the towers for one more year, um, we could be amenable to those kinds of arrangements. And it'll depend on, on the... Um, proposals, but we will be ready to leave the residence hall after this coming academic year. So do you, do you anticipate the, the new residence hall to be completed by that time or? No. No. Okay. No. We, we made the decision based on the fact that we would have enough capacity 
for our first year students. We will have, by the end of this next year, we will have uh, completed the Hillcrest project, having a, a, a wiggle room of that additional 300 beds. Mm -hmm. um, and we just will, will have first come first serve basis for um, the returning student capacity. Mm -hmm. And it will mean that it's likely more returning students would have to opt for something other than a residence hall. Yeah. So, so like an increase of it's about around 700 in, in the market? Yeah, yeah. If, if we stopped right now, that would be roughly what okay. we'd look Thank at. You. We might see a little, a little more capacity on our campus because of the Hillcrest work. Um, there are always options if we get too many requests and we're concerned. You may have experienced, I experienced as a student here, of us going to an increased number of triple beds where we can increase, if we need to, we can increase the capacity in our residence halls. It's not historically ideal for the students, uh, for the size of the rooms to have triples, but we've done it before and we, you know, we can certainly do it if we need to. Rob, what is the scope of this as far as investment? So over the 10 years, what's it gonna cost and is that, can you sort of speak to how that might be distributed in that time frame? Yeah, so if we look at it in two pockets, uh, healthcare in the hospital and the main campus, uh, a vast majority of the work I described from a dollar's perspective is in the healthcare side. That would be from uh, hospital um, usage funds, as they call it, it'd be the revenues from the hospital, and the North Liberty Project is, is costing the hospital, and as it opens, it then begins to generate the revenue that will enable the next step of projects, and, and that's how the plan for the hospital project works. It's self-contained as an auxiliary, so those aren't state or university dollars associated with it. And it's based on um, debt coverage, uh, uh, days cash on hand, and all of the balances that the finance team for both the university and the hospital work on. Same with any of our auxiliaries. Athletics, as I said, primarily gift-related and revenue-related on the athletics projects. Housing also stands on its own as an auxiliary. So as we work on this, the the purchase price of a Mayflower project will enable them to invest in the returning hall. There are specific, as a, as a, as a bonded enterprise, there are specific debt coverage uh, percentages they have to maintain. They coordinate that with our office, and we will always make sure we do that. If we can't afford to do a project and show that it's paid back, we, we don't do it. But it's fairly clear in a residence hall system. The beds cost this much, that many fill it up, you know what the revenue is. On the main campus side, uh, we do continue to request specific appropriated funds from the state of Iowa that's independent of the state appropriations for operations of the university, which are very flat. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't get, nor do we really expect, though we certainly ask our Board of Regents fight for and ask for more funds. We generally see a flat line on that. Um, but capital project investments are different. The F College of Pharmacy building, which was completed uh, just a couple few years ago, was a project the largest in the state's history of an appropriation. They appropriated $64 million for that project. Now, they don't just appropriate that. We invested a partnered 28 to $30 million. So um, there's always a partnership. But we're asking the state every year. For what we're doing is changing from asking for new buildings like a pharmacy building to money to buy down deferred maintenance. We, it's not very sexy, but we want the money, we'd like to have the money in the partnership to simply make the operation of the university more effective and cost effective and efficient. Um, we believe that also speaks to the state and we know that the state likes when we take truly antiquated and obsolete buildings and don't keep, keep paying for them and caring for them. There's a level of efficiency that they want to see from us as well. Um, otherwise, it's our revenues. It's the money that we have in investments, it's the money that we have in deferred maintenance that we pay ourselves in effect. We hold back funds to pay for deferred maintenance by the millions of dollars each year. Uh, in general, our campus is cared for better than many of our peers, probably again because of scale. We've been able to keep up with it more than many of our peer institutions have. Um, but it 
is a challenge. It is a challenge everywhere. It is for the city as well. Um, but those, the, the central projects come from ourselves, from the state, from gifts. Um, we, we, we rely more and more heavily on philanthropy and driving those projects with partners of alumni and fans of the University of Iowa. And we have meaningful projects like the one right at the end of um, Clinton Street, right across the street from the president's residence on Clinton Church. We just finished a new building there for the number one nationally rated nonfiction writing program. Um, that is a new home, a new building for them that was paid 100% by private donors and uh, has been completed and they'll be activating that for um, this next semester. Um, that's just one small example, but they happen all over our campus. The generosity of, of donors to the university are remarkable and make a remarkable difference. I really appreciate that as far as all the different sources and also understanding the auxiliary functions that have to be sort of self-sustaining. Yeah. I think I read something in the paper that just on the hospital side, the anticipated 10-year investment was something like $2 billion in capital. Is that? Starts there. Starts Probably there. Okay, that. so what, what's your overall 10-year plan? I, I, well, some of them are pre-planning, and so they don't have a, um, specific numbers, but I can yeah. tell you the enabling projects. I mentioned the academic building, the parking ramp, the what much loved used to be Maline, now much loved water tower next to Kinnick that has to be moved because mm -hmm. the footprint lands on that. Uh, moving that water tower is a $42 million project. Mm -hmm. It's no small task. It's, it carries a million gallons of water. It's grandfathered since the 1950s. As soon as we replace it, it has to be two million. And we have to upgrade and grow the water storage we have on the east side at the same time by regulation. So it's no small task to move that. Uh, the parking ramp is, uh, I think, roughly 70 million in total, almost with roads, utilities, the academic building, um, you know, four to five hundred million dollars to enable the tower project. And then, uh, Pauline, as you mentioned, once that tower project's done, now you go back into the hospital and modernize a hospital that has been put together in pieces since 1973. Um, and, and made modern for the most important hospital in the state of Iowa. Thank so, you for that. Yeah. I was trying to give my colleagues a sense of scope compared Big. to the projects that, that we authorize and that we see, so. Big. Yeah, thank you. One quick question. The Sanksay, I don't think you mentioned Sanksay Gilmore, you know, the historic house yes. on market. What, what's the status there? Yeah, so I showed it on the inset project. It's one uh -huh. of those two properties on Clinton Street across from the Tippy College of Business. It is directly across from the Tippy College of Business. It's the site that we purchased from the Gloria Day uh, Church um, in anticipation of the Tippy College of Business project. The other, the other um, uh, structures on that site have been removed. The Sanxay House remains there. We did work with generosity of, and, and partnership with the city um, and your former mayor in, in a plan to see if we could relocate it. Right. In fact, the city generously offered a, a, a small parking lot right across the street. Um, uh, I think some of the, it's not a registered home from a historic perspective, it's old and it's got a history. And, and some of that led to um, moving companies shying away from it, but ultimately uh, it was gonna cost more than $2 million to relocate it uh, without putting anything in it to make it work. Uh, we've had some, we've restored the Shambaugh House, um, uh, the Bowman House. When we did the Bowman House just up the street from that, because of what we have to do for those who will use it, we had to fit into it architecturally, historically, carefully, an elevator and other things that led to a simple renovation we thought would be re replacing windows became over a million dollar project. In this case, we don't have any programs that need or would fit in the home effectively. Um, and at over $2 million, it didn't work uh, for us to move it. We still endeavor to have it saved. I, what I would expect, we're talking to some folks now that we get a, people to approach us every once in a while interested in it. And our objective would be to work with anybody, offer it at no cost and probably help to um, defray some of the costs in moving if, if someone will be willing to move it. Um, it's, a, it's been an interesting pathway for that house. There's no specific build date. One of the challenges in the city auditor, the, the county city auditor in 1905 
half of the house was built onto and was changed to the point where the um, assessor said the building was built in 1905, not in the 1800s, cause, because it was changed so much. That doesn't make it less historic or, or full of heritage. We, you bring up or you point out an important thing, and I talked about Halsey as well. We balance the issue of historic preservation constantly and carefully. Uh, we have invested more than anyone I know of in the preservation of history on this campus, but there comes a time for some buildings that don't stand that test of time. We don't take them lightly, but they do happen on occasion. When they have, we've been careful. I even think about the Sabin School, working with the city uh, where Midwest One is now, in saving parts of those buildings the way they don't build them anymore. And, and I've had somebody approach me, do you think you could save where it says women's gymnasium and put that into the landscape on that site and remember it? One, we always register it with um, video and photography and the histories. We've worked with the state archeologist in doing some of that with us. And then if we can save parts of the building um, are an important part of that, but not always just saving. It's a good question, thank you. Well, thank you so much. You've given us a lot to think about. 10 years is a lot to do all of this work. We're looking forward Plenty to. Plenty of time. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I guess I appreciate that 10-year outlook. I, I think um, oftentimes you say you were approaching with single projects to the region, um, Board of Regents, and I think just having that bigger outlook It's helped is the board. Our, our partnership with board and board office has been great because of this. They know what's coming. We had a freedom in communicating this. It did, it did and it does lead to reactions of, my gosh, that's a lot of work. And it is a lot of work, but it is over a 10-year period. And um, uh, you know, we look forward to always making sure that this campus works with the community and, and for our 30-plus thousand students. Yep. Well, uh, we couldn't love be it. prouder to be yes. here with you and, and in Iowa City. It's well, we awesome. love the students, and um, we love the partnership that the city has with the University of Iowa. So thank you for coming, and Absolutely. we'll see Anytime. you around. I'm glad to come visit with you. Yes, right. thank, thank you. Thanks, yes. All righty. Next item on our agenda is clarification of agenda items. Uh, yeah, I, I would like to just mention that uh, on the consent calendar 6.L, uh, if we could pull that from the consent calendar. Sure. I, I would be in agreement with that. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Any other thing from the formal agenda? Hearing none, we're gonna go over to information packets item number three, July 22nd. June. June 22nd. <laughs> July 6th, because June didn't have much. Um, July 6th. So we have the IP4 memo from our city clerk for our joint entities meeting, which is going to be July 17th. And um, any other topics that we're thinking? I just wanted to clarify that uh, the request that uh, Councillor Taylor had for emergency management, you want us to proceed with that? That was on the um, uh, kind of smart 911 technology. I, I've confirmed that they're available to, to present that. Yeah, okay. Perfect, any other topics of interest that we wanna um, present? I can't recall if we ever had GuideLink um, come and do the presentation. I know that we suggested it and they weren't able to make it. It was the Coralville meeting, and I can't remember if they were ever rescheduled. Not suggested maybe for this meeting, but maybe we can look back through the meeting agenda for a future meeting. We have a MPO meeting tomorrow, um, and so hopefully we'll have some update. I don't know, if John, if you have more information on the bus rapid transit. There will be an update. There will be, so that might be good to share with that group since there's, it's a little broader than just the MPO. But that, I th imagine it'll be very brief. 
Do you, just clarification, do you want MPO staff there to provide that update, or are you comfortable representing? I think we can just report out. Report out. Well, I, uh, Kent, I think, it, would Kent be attending that meeting, or could he attend that meeting, or would you want I could to check his availability. Typically, typically, staff would attend if there's an agenda item that pertains to them, but I'd have to check. I, I would suggest either you or Kent. I, I know Kent has been discussing it with you. Yeah. I wanted to make <clears throat> mention that I won't be at the meeting, neither will Mayor Pro Tem um, Alter be at the meeting. So um, sometimes they have <laughs> the the city that rep that put the item on the agenda kind of say something. So I don't know if Councilor Taylor, you wanted to kind of at least introduce whomever is going to talk about the with the emergency management, yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Um, and that will be the same thing with M the MPO. Mm -hmm. So you all can battle that out. Normally they just list the city of Iowa City yeah. in the topic. So, yep, just introduce the person that's going to speak. All right. Any other thoughts for that meeting? Moving on to item number four. University of Iowa Student Government Updates, USG. Welcome. Hi, Council. <clears throat> well, there's not too much, um, but I figured I'd just kind of give you um, a little bit of our possible future events because we kind of have our GR platform a little bit hammered out now. Um, so it's just good to keep you guys in the loop. Uh, we were thinking of having a city council tour slash campus, campus visit, similar to how the Board of Regents does it, but a little bit low, more low key. Um, it would just be really nice for a lot of um, our, we're, we're trying to make a new committee that is gonna be working on more city initiatives. And we think it would be a great way to like actually like have them meet you guys or at least some of you guys and you know walk around campus or something like that. Um, that's still really well in the works. Uh, we're still gonna have a candidate form for those who are up for election this year. Uh, that'll be in the works as well from GR. Um, town hall will probably happen again second semester. And then, of course, you're going to have this semester meetings like me, with me and Matthew, hopefully. So that's all we really have. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Item number five is council updates on assigned boards, commissions, and committees. We have nothing. All right. We're going to be adjourned until 6 p.m.